Hey, how are you guys this morning? Good? I want to open this morning with a little story. When I was just first beginning in ministry, I had a, a, a friend. He was kind of an emerging friend named John. And I met John because I had visited a halfway house. And uh, he was recovering from cocaine addiction. And um, I don't know, we just struck up an instant friendship. And one thing led to another. And then this John uh, gets engaged to a gal that I had worked with on campus in River Falls. And then they asked me to officiate the wedding, which was a joy to me. But I didn't really fully understand everything I was getting into until I got to the wedding rehearsal. I had heard a little bit of John's story, and he actually came from a mafia family. And so, I, you know, that kind of went in one ear and out the other. But when I arrived at the rehearsal, there were eight stretch limousines out in front of this posh restaurant. And I thought, where am I? And then my next thought was, I'm probably going to die. This is it. <laughs> okay, okay, Jesus. Well, you know. And I, you know, I was uh, just young in ministry. I really didn't have fancy suits or anything like that. You know, I'm just a poor boy from Wisconsin. And so I, 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 I kind of dressed middle of the road. I think it's a wedding rehearsal. You know, I had this corduroy uh, sport coat that looked a little bit like a college professor, so I thought that was cool. It had the patches on the elbows and everything. You know what I'm saying? And so um, I, I get out of the car, and then John's kind of standing in front of the restaurant waiting to greet me, and he goes, he goes as white as this sheet of paper. And he goes, is that what you're wearing? And I was like, yeah. And then I noticed he has a tuxedo on. This is the rehearsal. And he goes, everybody has tuxes on. I said, I wore a tux once at prom. I don't have a tux. He goes, get in the limousine, which I always thought was cool. It's my first ride in the limo. So we get in this limo, and they whisk us off to the hotel where, I don't know what, you know, like are, they, are these mafia people in the clothier business or what? Because they have extra, like, male tuxes around it. You know, so I'm trying on these pants, and finally I, I kind of squeeze into this tux and go to the rehearsal dinner. And, you know, it just was, it was crazy. It was, sitting down at the rehearsal dinner, there, I thought I had everybody's silverware. There was five, five forks. What are you hitting five forks? But it was this Italian feast. That they bring in, like, some kind of meat, and then they bring in a pasta, and then they bring in something to cleanse your palate, and they do a whole nother course. We ate for two and a half hours. I was not prepared for that. And you know, when, when you think about the, the invitations that we're reading about in Romans, I don't think that we're really prepared for them. Because they're just crazy invitations, whether it's Brennan that's been talking about them or Sharon that's been talking about them, we've been reading about them. Let me just walk you through some of the invitations that we're getting through the book of Romans just recently, not even going way back. Here's one. Be devoted to one another in love. Okay, that sounds pretty good until you get the B clause of the contract. Look what it says. Honor one another above yourselves. That's easy to do, right? That's just the opening. And then it go, he goes on and he says, Be joyful in hope, okay, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Wow. I mean, it's one thing to be patient. It's another to be patient in affliction. 
Are you guys reading the same book I'm reading? Listen to this one. Bless those who persecute you. Bless them. Wow. I just think it. What kind of... This one. Do not repay anyone. And in the Greek, it means anyone. Evil for evil. You, you just go... How are we going to do this? And we realize when we step into the book and we look at some of these commands that we are not dressed for the occasion. How, how are we going to do this, God? You know, don't repay anyone evil for evil. You know, honor people above yourself. How do we do this? Really? And we realize, I, I can't do those things. I'm just being honest. I can't do those things 100% of the time. Every once in a while in a blue moon, I might hit the target, but ha, ah, it just seems so beyond me. And then I'm so underdressed for this occasion. And so what happens in the moment when you read those verses and then you think about your life is it creates a dissonance and a disconnect. And, and you think, okay, is there something wrong with me? Because it says I should be able to do this in the book. Why can't I? Or is there something wrong with God that he's kind of way up there and he's not helping me down here because this is pretty hard stuff. And we feel the dissonance and we feel this disconnect and the tension. And Paul wants to address that in the section that we're walking in. He, he wants us to understand how, how we can actually live this way. He's not talking about concepts. He's not talking about philosophy. He's talking about real time Real life. And so he says this. If you open your Bibles to Romans 13 at the close of the chapter, Paul writes, And do this, understanding the present time, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently, as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension or jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how you can gratify the desires of the flesh. Let's highlight three things that Paul gives to us that can actually equip us, enable us to live this, this life that he's calling us to. First, he says, I want you to understand the time. That's important. We're going to unpack it in just a moment. And then he says, I want you to put on Jesus. And then he, he says, I want you to think God thoughts, to get a hold of those. But he begins by saying this, and do this, understanding the present time. Verse 11. Now, we have to say, Paul, what is it that we need to understand about this time? Well, there's a number of different things. We need to understand there's this time in which we're living. Right now, in 2019 is different than it was in 1980. And it's different than it was in 1908. And it's different than it was in 1816 and different than it was in 1700. It's a different age, a different time, a different season that we live in. 
So kind of put that in the workbench of your mind. And then the second thing about time is we live in a time now that's different than another time that happened on earth. There's the B.C., before Christ, and there's the A.D. after his death, and it marks all time. That was then, this is now, and we have to put that on the workbench. What does that mean? Why we live in this age, this time, what, what does that B.C.A.D. have to do with me? And lastly, there is a specific time you're in. You're in a conversation. You're in a fix. You're in trouble. Matt was telling me that his sump pump's not working. That's not good. He's in a time. Could be a wet time. <laughs> Lord, help him. But each of these elements about time, Paul wants to put in front of us, and he wants us to think more deeply about it. So let's think together. What about the time that we're living in? Because every age has its foil. You know, I, we were uh, talking to a couple, and I don't know, if, if you've been married as long as I've been married, 37 years, how many have been married more than 30 years? Or, and you go back and you look at your wedding pictures, can you believe you wore that? <laughs> and one of the pastors that we were talking to, he, flipped, he got married in the 60s. Yeah, baby. He had on a purple velvet tux. Woo, man. <laughs> it had these big collars. I mean, it looks like he was going to sing some Motown or something. I don't know. I said, where'd you get that tux? He said, I don't know. But I can't believe I wore it. It was a different time then than it is now. But to every time that we walk through on this earth, Jesus says this. He says, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. You see, he's calling us out of this world. He's saying, I want you to be holy, to be separate, to be mine, not the world's mine. And you're called out of this world. But the, the challenge we feel, the tension we feel, is we're, we're obviously not off the earth. We're not out of this time zone. We're, we're still in this tension of what's going on around us and how it's impacting us. It's why Paul said that, that the hour has already come for you to wake up because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. He's talking in this uh, metaphoric language saying that, yeah, you're, you're, you're not meant for this world, but you're not quite home. You're in a tension. And yet we're, we're in this tension spot. We're called to live obviously different than the world does. Obviously in a unique, separate way. I remember when I was at Anderson Windows, one of the things that guys would do when they would watch me is they would try to make me swear. I don't know why that was such a project for them. But they noticed I didn't swear. So one day this one guy, his nickname was Cannon, because he had a, a big mouth. <laughs> he told me that. I, you know, I didn't give that to him. And he asked me, he goes, why don't you swear? And I said, I, I don't know. It doesn't seem like it helps. What do you mean it doesn't help? You just get mad and then you swear. Doesn't, it, doesn't that feel good? I, I said, yeah, well, who's listening to that? And I said, why? He goes, well, what are you doing to get mad? I said, I pray. Oh. I said, well, you pray too. I hear you all the time. You're asking God to do this, and you're asking God to do that. I hear that. 
I didn't realize you prayed so much. Did you? Oh, shut up, he said. He had seen something different. He was trying to figure out, why are you living differently? Why do you do this? Is this some game? Is this something you, you do? It's not something I did. It was something that, that, that God did. And this is why Paul talks about this in Romans 12 when he says, don't conform to the pattern of this world. That, that phrase, wor- world, is not a geographic term. It's, it's a time term. It literally means age. It means the epoch of time that you find yourself stationed in. Paul is saying, don't be conformed to what's going on around you in this age. Be different. Be transformed by by heaven's call, by heaven's word, by heaven's leading, by heaven's guidance. Don't get conformed to the habits and the traditions and the practices of this age and culture. Don't get comfortable in it. This is critical for us to understand because the reason that we have time is because it takes practice. The thing that my brother was so struck about after my salvation, and he saw me one month after my salvation, and he looked at me in one instant and he said, what happened to you? And later on we had a conversation. I said, what was it that you saw, Matt? He said, you didn't have a lick of anger left in you. And you were always angry. Heaven got a hold of me. But you know what? The fact that Jesus took care of that doesn't mean that I don't have to deal with, on a daily basis, getting angry. Traffic. I'm in a new season of life now. I'm a grandpa. So we spent the last four days chasing our grandchildren, who even though they're small and have shorter legs, can move much faster. They're much more agile, mobile, and hostile. And I'm trying to figure out how come my kids get to go to a Caribbean island and I have to stay home with their kids. (laughs) To this I'm called. But I digress. (laughs) Just wanted to whine with y'all. Thank you. Back to the sermon. (laughs) So this, this thing that we're called to do to become, it takes time. It's a production. And we're going through this time. And I remember uh, the call to be different way back. And I remember preaching a sermon, the Church at Eden Prairie. And one of the things I said to the congregation, I said, be ready to be different because you are different. You're not trying to be different. The Spirit of God's in you. You're different. You're not holier than thou. You're just plain holy. And I'm sorry, you are holier than thou because the Holy Spirit's in you. And the senior pastor's daughter, April, was there. She was 16 years old then, going through high school, which is a pretty good testing ground of where your face going to land. And she was telling me, a couple weeks later, she said, Pastor Mark, that word, when you said, be ready to be different, really prepared my heart. I said, well, what happened, April? She said, well, a bunch of us girls were going to go to this movie, and we, we told my parents we were going to go see this movie that was PG, and they were totally cool with that. Have fun, you guys. And then when we got to the movie theater, all of a sudden, there was a lot of whispering going on. And kind of the ringleader of all these girls was deciding they wanted to go to this racy R movie. And I realized I couldn't do that because I had said to my parents, I'm going to that movie, not that movie. And even more than that, I realized it was a moment where my faith was going to be tested. And you know what? I remembered your sermon, Mark. Get ready to be different because you just are. And so everybody's kind of getting excited to go to this 
racy movie over here. And they go, come on, April. And April said, you know, you guys, I told my folks I'm going to go to this one. So you guys go ahead. I'm just going to go home. Well, why? Come on. You know how it goes. You know the drill. Good old peer pressure, right? They're pressuring, pressuring. Finally, she says, you know, you guys, listen, I'm a Christian. I can't tell somebody I'm going to do one thing and then do another thing. Ooh, got quiet. Got real quiet. I said, April, how'd that feel? She goes, it actually felt good to finally just say it out loud. She said, I'm fine, you guys. I'll just call my parents. They'll come get me, and it'll be fine. So she turned to go away, having kind of made her stand for Jesus. And the ringleader started whispering. They decided to go to April's house with her. And they turned around. She said, Pastor Mark, it was so cool because once we got to my house for playing games, people started asking me about Jesus. And it all came out from being a little different. You see, the heaven, it's calling to us. We just need to follow, and sometimes we've got to make a turn. We're going against the tide, but it's part of what we're called about in this time. Now, the second thing about time is this idea that it's A.D., it's after death. Something very significant has happened between the Gospels and the book of Romans. It's the resurrection. It changes everything. Prior to this point in time, people did not have the Spirit of God inside of them. They couldn't possibly live the way that Paul's talking about. You see, do you remember this part of the Easter story where Jesus calls his very best friends? It's, it's, it's the hour. And he says, watch and pray with me, my friends, so that you'll not fall into temptation. And what did they do, you guys? They dozed. Why? Because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. They were trying to the best of the ability to follow, but they don't have the Spirit of God. Not yet. The Holy Spirit's coming. One of the primary reasons that I hear over and over and over again when I talk to people who have abandoned faith, who said it's not for me, I, I, it didn't seem to work, is they're disillusioned. But as I talk to them a little bit more, what I hear about their life is that they hear those commands and they try to do it on their own strength. We can't. I can't be patient in affliction on my own strength. I can't forgive my enemies, let alone love them on my own strength. And yet Paul is saying, listen, wake up, be aware of the time. It's different now. The resurrection's made it different. Because when Jesus gets raised up, he goes to his boys and he says, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. Get ready, boys. We're going to ride. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. It's a game changer. It turns everything around. Because now all of a sudden, you're, you're in the tension, but oh, there's a little bit of heaven that got imparted right down inside of you. You don't have to look for God. He's right here. Not, not me. Don't get confused. I don't think anybody would get confused. <laughs> you know too much about Spencer. But Spencer carries around God. So do you. Inside of us. 
Jesus says, now the kingdom's not far off. The kingdom's come near. Yea, it's in you. And now we need to listen to what he's saying from within. These two questions are not to be obnoxious, not us nagging you, not Brennan's idea of just bugging you. These are central questions to say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying? In these two understandings, the fact that, yes, we live in an age that we're to live separately from, but the age has changed because of the resurrection. It changes the final timepiece right now. Wherever you find yourself, whatever situation, it could be a flat tire, it could be a bad phone call, it could be a bad situation at work, trouble at school, trouble with a neighbor, trouble with a spouse. It could be any kind of thing. Whatever the right now is, Jesus is right there. It's a game changer right here and now. That conversation, the trouble, the struggle, the instance, the relationship, everything you're going through, God is there. And the truths that we're reading about are calling to us and shouting to us. And they're saying, you can lean on these. You can trust these. You can live these. Which is why he says in your right now moment, what you need to do is put on Jesus. You wondering what to wear? Jesus is a good choice. You going formal? Wear Jesus. You going cash? Wear Jesus. You going to the gym? Wear Jesus. You going to work? Wear Jesus. You going out to dinner? Wear Jesus. The word clothe yourself means in duo. It literally means to put on. It means to sink into. It means to get so comfortable we all have a pair of comfort clothes, don't we? A pair of jeans. I had a pair of jeans for years and years and years. They're like my favorite things. And then uh, they got a hole and I tried to patch it and I worked really hard. Look at these fat paws, you know, holding a little needle and I'm working really hard and I finally get all the way around the patch and I think, oh, my neck is stiff and my eyes hurt. And I shake the jeans and I sewed the legs together. <laughs> Even right then, Jesus is with me to help me. Oh, my jeans, Lord, look at them. Every occasion we step into, we step in, he promises to be with us. You don't have to look with him. He's already in you. He's with you. He's not just close. He's committed. There was a time where I had this woman. She was a struggling pastor's wife. She was so frustrated. She was hurt by the church over and over again. She said, that, I'm done. I'm done, Mark. I said, okay, you're done. What does that mean? She goes, I'm going to ask Jesus out of my heart. And I said, well, you could try that. But Jesus already made his commitment. He said, I'll never leave you. So you hash that out with Jesus and let me know how that goes. Because he's good to his word, right? I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So these things are not new things, are they, people? But we lose track of them, which is why Paul says we need to think about the time. We need to understand the time. Whatever the situation, it's not new. Whatever the situation, the resurrection power has an impact on it. Whatever you're in right now, Jesus is in with you there. But there's one 
important phrase that Paul tacks on at the end. He says, and do not think about how to gratify the desires of your flesh. And this is the final piece to him helping you understand how you can really live this way. He says, check your thinking. The phrase do not think gets translated perhaps more accurately in the ESV where it says make no provision for the flesh. But even that, I think in the context, might be a little bit weak. Because provision can get translated for thoughts. But I think what Paul is inferring here is don't think how you used to think. And most of our time when we come up, I became a Christian when I was 23. I did a whole lot of thinking on my own. And most of what goes on in the age around us is people thinking about themselves and what they want to do. And what Paul is saying is, if you want all this to really work, here's what you need to do. You need to think in a new way. Not think independently. Not think just selfishly. Not think just about yourself. Because the reality is, is it's not just Mark Spencer anymore. Where Mark Spencer goes, Jesus goes. And it's not just me alone. It's me with him. We're together. It's not just I. It's us. Wherever I go, so why not begin to think in a new way? What do you want to do? When you get in the car to go see a movie with a friend, usually someone says, what do you want to see? When you get in the car to go get something to eat with a friend, usually say, what do you want to eat? Why not in whatever situation you find yourself, why not just think in a new way and go, Jesus what do you want to do? What do you think? What would you say to this? We need to change the old bracelet from what would Jesus do to what would we do? What would we do? We means Jesus and I. What do you want to do, Jesus? You see, if you go back at the old school and you think, well, what would Jesus do? We start coming up with ideas. Well, he might do this or he could do that. But right there in the present tense, in that present time, in that moment, Jesus is right there with you, inside of you. I think he has a few thoughts about what to do right there. About you, about your situation. Right there. Think in a new way. So today, Paul would ask us, what are you going to wear? What are you going to wear when you go out there to your situation? What are you going to wear when you go out there with your family, with your work, with your neighborhood, whatever it is? What are you going to wear? Put on Jesus. And if we step into the time that we're walking into wearing Jesus, the big and the little times, it has an impact. So I was thinking, we have Hannah. She's three years old. Uh, I don't know what the kid eats. She just never stops. So I thought, okay, I made, I made dinner, and I was bringing dinner back up to my son's house. We're going to eat, and I thought, okay, I'm, I'm going I'm to risk going to Walmart on a Saturday to see if I could find something that can slow this kid down. So... Uh, I go into Walmart, and it never, it didn't seem like anybody's ever happy at Walmart. I don't know why. I, I, I just want to stop everybody and go, it'll be okay. Be happy. You know? 
But in particular, I get concerned about the, the cash register people because they stand there. And there was this young man. And I, and I, I just thought, well, I'm wearing Jesus. I'm just going to kind of do this with Jesus. And I walked down. And I thought, which one am I going to go to? I'm going to go to this one, this register here. So I'm waiting and I'm watching this young man. He didn't seem happy. Seemed like he got baptized in lemon juice. And he's sitting there at the register, you know, and I'm watching him. And I think he's probably, the people probably just come and go and everybody's in a hurry and no, there's no human contact. So I'm, I'm praying. I'm saying, well, you know, Lord, I, you know, here we are. And they always have the name thing on there. So I, uh, I, said, I said, how are you doing, Don? He kind of shook his head and looked at me like, do you know me? And I said, I don't really know you. I read your name tag. You know, <laughs> one of those moments. I said, how are you doing, man? Because this is, you know, how long have you been here? Oh, you know, I don't know. I can't remember. And so all of a sudden, though, we, we're just talking. And you can see the humanness come back into him. You can see life set to come back. He's not the, the checkout robot. And uh, I, I said, hey, Don, I hope the rest of the day goes really great for you. I'll see you later. I'm off to see if I can chase my three-year-old granddaughter. And he smiled. He smiled for the first time. He smiled. He said, yeah, good luck with that. I said, was that a fat joke? <laughs> so we both laughed, you know. He said, no, it was an old joke. Okay. Fair enough. It wasn't earth-shattering. It, it wasn't major. But it did bring Jesus' life into the moment. I didn't get to tell him the gospel. He doesn't know I'm a pastor. But he had, a, he had a, a fully human encounter with someone that was interested in who he was. I saw him. I called his name. I talked to him. It took two minutes. I know there's bigger stuff happening in the room. I know that. There's bigger stuff happening in my life. But sometimes when I see, wait a second. If Jesus can invade those little minor moments... How much more does he want to invade the major ones? Augustine was one of the great Christian thinkers of our time. And he was struggling because no matter what he put on as a Christian, he just struggled with his thought life. He struggled with his own life. And he, he, he kept writing and, and praying and saying, Lord, how long? Tomorrow, tomorrow, but, but, but why not now? Why can't I live the way I'm supposed to live now? And he was tormented by this, and he went to see his friends, Olypius. And his friend Olypius was reading a copy of one of Paul's writings. And when Augustine saw it, he snatched it from his friend. And he began to read, and his eyes fell on the very verse that we're talking about this morning. It, it read this way in that apparent text. It said, let us not walk in revelry or drunkenness, immorality or shamelessness, contention or strife, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. And in that moment of time, in that age of time, this great Christian leader says, all of a sudden, it hit me like lightning. I neither wished nor needed to read any further. With the end of that sentence, as though the light of assurance had poured into my heart, all the shades of doubt were scattered. I put my finger in the page and closed the book and began to live my life wearing Jesus. 
Ladies and gentlemen, we got a great opportunity, don't we? Paul wants us to understand one of the enemy's biggest tricks is to say, you're on your own. You're not. That is a lie from the pit of hell. You have Christ in you. And with him, you can do all things. Why don't we wear that? So I urge you, this morning as we return to worship, put on Jesus. We're going to do communion. And if you're new here, the way we do communion is the moment the worship team will come back, we'll stand and worship. When you're ready, you can come to one of the three tables on either side and serve yourself communion. If you'd like to invite somebody to come with you, do that. If for some reason, you know, you, you, you want to take it in the chair, you, you could raise your hand and, and I'll, I'll put my guitar down and I'll come bring communion to you. at service with a smile. But put on Jesus. Realize that in the time you are right now, right now, whatever that time is, he's in it with you. He wants to walk with you, partner with you, trust him and his resurrection power. Can we pray? Lord, we thank you this morning for these words again. They're just precious reminders of the very life that we want to live, we can live. Because you're in us. You're calling us to allow that life out in a partnership. In a sense, wearing you into everything we walk into. Thank you, Lord, for wearing our burdens during a season that we'll soon celebrate where you put on the sins of the world and carried them up a hill. And what you did Finished it for all time. And now we can wear you free, free to live the life that you have. So as we break bread this morning, we do it mindful of the time that you're here with us, mindful that you want to move in our situations, mindful that you want us to wear you wherever we go. So have at it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I cast my mind to Calvary Where Jesus bled and died for me I see his wounds, his hands, his feet, my Savior on that cursed tree. His body bound and drenched in tears, they laid him down in Joseph's tomb. The entrance seal, my heavy stone, Messiah still, and all alone. Oh, praise the name of the Lord our 
And I will rise. 